You are listening to River City Charlie, the military true crime podcast. I'm Scylla McCain. Brandon was a very good kid from day one. He uh, always looked out for other people and he tended to get along with people that others didn't want to have anything to do with. Special needs, uh, homeless. Uh, you wouldn't believe the people he'd bring home sometimes. It, it was funny, but he was serious. He wanted to help in any way he could. And he tutored the special needs kids in math and became good friends with them, went to their birthday parties and uh, treated them with the utmost respect. But he did that for everybody. But the unique trait he had, in spite of the fact that he could sense sometimes that some didn't like him, no matter what, he would help them no matter what. What can I say about Brandon that hasn't been said already? He was a good dude. So I met Brandon when I was going through a certain program that required me to paint a helmet every day. Brandon had been long dropped from the program, and he saw me struggling with painting this helmet. With nothing in it to gain for himself, he showed me what sandpaper I needed to buy, what grit, the steps I needed to take, how long to let it dry. He's just a great dude. He helps people. Not because he knows that he can give something to them, but just because he can. He was just a happy person. He always had the biggest smile on his face. Congratulations on your orders to Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL or BUDS training. You have accepted the challenge of one of the toughest courses of instruction offered by the United States military today. Brandon Caserta came from a loyal Navy family. His father, Patrick, served for 22 years. It was Brandon's dream to become a SEAL, and he prepared for it his entire life. His parents supported him every step of the way. An avid runner, swimmer, football player, you name it, and Brandon did it. And he kept what could easily be called a million-dollar smile on his face the entire time. But Patrick and his wife, Terry, no longer feel loyalty toward the Navy and have made it clear the Navy has done them wrong as grieving parents. And when you hear their story, you may understand why. When I say what I'm about to say, you wouldn't believe the reactions and how people look at me. But unfortunately, all I'm doing is telling the truth. I'm embarrassed to admit I was ever in the military. They let me down in every way possible with this situation. And when I served, I put up with a lot, just like so many others do. And it takes every ounce of energy I have if I am somewhere that the national anthem plays and we have to stand. It just, I don't want to do it. But unfortunately, it's the right thing to do. But I don't want to be a part of any of it anymore because it was all a lie. And serving our country, I thought, was a big deal. And that I thought it was something I wanted to do. But the sacrifice was way too grave. On May 6, 2017, Brandon Caserta was two and a half weeks into SEAL training, doing what they call boats on the head, when he suddenly collapsed from excruciating pain in his leg. 
Even with the searing pain, Brandon got back up and ran back under the boat to help carry some of the load. Only this time he passed out. As he slowly regained consciousness, he was thrown into the back of a filthy pickup truck and was taken to the infamous dropout bell. Finally, in SEAL training, there's a bell. A brass bell that hangs in the center of the compound for all the students to see. All you have to do to quit, all you have to do to quit is ring the bell. Ring the bell and you no longer have to wake up at 5 o'clock. Ring the bell and you no longer have to be in the freezing cold swims. Ring the bell and you no longer have to do the runs, the obstacle course, the PT. And you no longer have to endure the hardships of training. All you have to do is ring the bell to get out. If you want to change the world, don't ever, ever ring the bell. Brandon refused to ring that bell. Even with all of the pain, he just would not do it. He was yelled at and belittled. His shipmates told him he was, he was not seal-worthy and that he needed to just tap out. But Brandon, he resisted. He resisted their taunts and their pushes to make him ring that bell. Finally, they got frustrated with him and rang the bell for him. A huge mistake. According to Brandon's parents, he would not have passed out if he had received proper medical attention for a broken leg. You see, Brandon had been living with severe pain in one of his legs. But the doctors kept telling him, oh, it's shin splints, it's shin splints. Brandon knew it wasn't shin splints because as an avid runner, he had had shin splints before and he knew what that pain felt like. But he kept getting dismissed. Time went on and Brandon kept on training, running 20 miles a day on this bad leg. Turns out that leg was broken and had the medical personnel given him a simple x-ray he would have been able to heal and resume his SEAL training at a later date. The ones that make it through, I commend them. They are truly the elite, elite, elite. There's no other words that can describe it. Uh, but everybody that tries to make it through a don't, like in Brandon's case, it was an injury. I'm not saying he would have made it through if he not got injured. I'm just pointing out there are injuries. There was nothing he could do now but choose a different course within the Navy. A course he had not planned on, he had not dreamed about but still gave it his all. Out of the SEAL program, Brandon had limited choices. He chose aviation electrician. He was ordered to Pensacola, Florida in June 2017 for four months. Brandon went to sea school for additional training for the H-60-S helicopter in Norfolk, Virginia. On January 31, 2017, he graduated. He checked into Helicopter Sea Combat Squadron 28, also known as HSC 28, on February 1, 2017. On his very first day, he met his new LPO, the man who has been accused of significantly contributing to Brandon's decision to end his life. The LPO looked at him, and called him a bud stud in front of everyone. A demoralizing experience for anyone in Brandon's position. So Brandon wanted out of HSC 28 so bad that he masterminded a way to get out two years sooner than what his contract stated. He decided to go air crewman. 
In order to do this, Brandon would have to re-enlist for another six years of military service. That's how bad he was bullied, hazed, harassed, tormented, and abused by toxic, abusive leadership and abusive power. Brandon wanted to be a Phoenix police officer and eventually get on their SWAT team. Brandon was willing to put that new dream on hold for six years just to get out of that command. That's how bad it was. He told me that they called him a buds gut, harassed him all the time. He kept repeating to me repeatedly, everybody in the command hates him, in particular, the chain of command. And examples were, he, we sent him a Christmas package. The guy <laughs> gets the package, drops it in the middle of the floor, and says, Brandon, this is for you. Caserta, this is for you. And then he would he would tell Brandon, Brandon would go do his job help others finish their work, and then go back and ask for more work. And the guy would tell him, um, hey, sir, to go make yourself useful somewhere else. He said he called him a butt stud and that he was determined to ruin him going air crewman. And that Brandon was useless. Yeah, and that Brandon was useless. Brandon was injured after he had a bicycle accident right in front of command, causing a broken collarbone. He was placed on light duty. While on light duty, the time frame for him to complete his qualifications expired. Brandon had completed 72% of his qualifications, and the computer reset it to zero. Now, according to Brandon's family, the LPO had the option to add back in the 72%, but he didn't. Instead, he began to accuse Brandon of not trying to complete the voluntary qualification because he had already made arrangements to leave that chain of command for his new assignment. To pile on even more, Brandon was being punished with extra duty, working from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day, and told he had two weeks to get the qualifications from start to finish. If it was bad before, now... It was downright brutal. How much could this young man take? Command seemed to be grasping at anything to throw in Brandon's path. But why? Why go after young Brandon Caserta? Why were they so hell-bent on destroying him? Not just his spirit, but his career. They were accusing him of things that he could have gotten in trouble for serious trouble for, things he was not guilty of doing. Is it possible that the reason this torment went on and on was for two reasons? Brandon Caserta had a father who knew the ropes, and he was being very vocal about the mistreatment of his son. Also, think about it like this. The LPO had been in trouble before for abusive behavior, and they kept putting him in a chain of command. How were they going to punish him without implicating themselves? For instance, if they put this LPO in a position where he had to defend himself against charges of abuse, he would have to talk to defend himself. He would have to implicate everyone in that chain of command who aided and abetted this horrific behavior. And that is why they wanted Brandon gone because they knew 
that they had picked the wrong young man. This young man had people who knew what was happening was corrupt and wrong on every level. Girls did a lot of things to a lot of people in there. So, I mean, yeah, um, well, there's this one kid who, uh, he didn't want to go hang out with him. Uh, it was Buffalo Wild Wings. And so he said something snarky in the shop one day and bros sent him out to clean pad eyes with a plastic knife. And that kid was so happy to go do it because he wasn't in the shop that whole day. He didn't care that it was, you know, I can't remember if it was raining or what, but he was just so glad to not be in there. It was, it, it was that bad. So what happens when a service member tries to get help for a situation like this? If you were to go and say something, you get shit on. Like, you, you go to a simio and say that this person's sexist and you give them proof why, then you're, that's basically ending your career. So people don't typically, they don't speak up, they don't want to, because it's it's looked down on. I mean, as much as they say that, you know, the new Navy, it's changed, all this stuff, I don't think it has. It, if anything, it's gotten worse. Because you couldn't do anything through your chain of command, because nothing ever happened when you did it that way, which is the right way to do things. So from day one, you were indoctrinated into the Navy. If you see something, report it. If you hear something, Report it. And the problem with that, yes, it seems to be the idea that you open the line of communication, but what ends up happening, for example, I ended up confiding in the coworker, and the coworker ended up talking to our chief, and then I ended up getting talking to, and I just learned that the best thing to do is to not say anything at all. You know, you can't trust anybody. These statements of a toxic leadership environment are supported by other cases that have made headlines. For example, in May 2016, Seaman James Derek Lovelace drowned during a training exercise. At first, the Navy reported it as a training accident. But NBC News states that Seaman Lovelace drowned because his instructor went too far. Witness reports that Derek's face was purple and blue, and video footage proved that more than one instructor continued to dunk him underwater in this state. Derek didn't get the chance to ring the bell because he drowned that day. An autopsy report would later state this was no accident, but the Navy did nothing, and the people who drowned him were never held accountable. Another example of failed leadership can be found with the suicide of SEAL trainee Danny Del Bianco. Del Bianco, like others, dreamed of and trained to become accepted into the SEAL training program. According to reports, he excelled. But on April 5, 2016, after enduring brutal drills, he could take no more. In the ritualistic manner, he rang the bell, took off his helmet, and placed it in a line next to other helmets of other trainees who rang the bell and walked toward the barracks. A few hours later, he was seen sitting alone in a lounge on the 22nd floor of a Marriott hotel. Just 23 years old, Del Bianco had been awake for more than 50 hours. He hadn't called or texted anyone. He wasn't drinking or taking drugs. Then, without 
any fanfare without a sound, he stood up and walked off the balcony, falling to his death. Danny's father, Stephen Bianco, had questions. Why was his sleep-deprived, physically-drained son allowed to leave the base alone just three hours after dropping out of training? According to Navy officials, he shouldn't have been allowed. And in response to Del Bianco's death, the Navy implemented a new policy of supervising dropouts for 24 hours. So this brings us back to Brandon Caserta, a case that begs the question, can a physically and mentally healthy young man be tormented into taking his own life? The only abuse I was aware of was his LPO, but he acted like that to everybody. So to pinpoint Brandon specifically, I wouldn't have looked at it like that. I did not know the career changes he was trying to go through or anything like that. So no, I didn't know they were pinpointing him. It was just his LPO was just so abusive, always cussing and using nasty language, yelling at him. He would yell at them as soon as the chief would walk out. And then he would call the chief, quote-unquote, oh, that chief is a piece of shit and doesn't know anything, you know, in front of his airmen and his third classes, like very young people, because the shop he was in charge of only had, like, E4 and below. Patrick was desperately trying to use his knowledge of the inner workings of the Navy to advise his son to help his son, even going so far as to call people on his son's behalf. He was frantic. He was trying to help his son survive his situation. Well, because I was a retired senior chief, Navy counselor, and I, I knew how these commands think, but I also knew that based upon talking to Brandon, that there was a bunch of miscues here and that somebody was corrupt and not telling the full story on Brandon's behalf. In other words, Brandon's side was never heard. It may never be known why Brandon picked June 25th, 2018, to end his life. But it is believed to have been a suicide contingent on the actions of his command. As we know, he was being falsely accused of refusal to complete his qualifications for plane captain. Command also realized that by allowing a known abusive LPO to remain in place, they were just as guilty and faced the same risks of any exposure and punishment. One only has to look at the recent events in Fort Hood to know that careers were on the line. The only thing they could do was discredit Brandon. The only thing they could do was threaten Brandon. They had to get control of him. They knew that his father had his back and was well aware of what was happening. I saw Brandon like normal walking his bike down the P-Way like he normally does because he, he uh, rode his bike to work every day. And then uh, he parked it. Brandon was out there. He was being a fire bottle. And I was just having general conversation with him, waiting on the pilot to, you know, do their checklist and all that. And Brandon was talking about getting out because nothing was really working for him and going to do something in the medical field. And I was like, oh, that's great. Sounds good, you know? And then he was like, well, I think it might have been a... It was a little after lunchtime. He was like, I haven't eaten yet. And he was like, I'll be right back. 
Rim side, so I thought he was going in to eat like a little sandwich or something and come right back out. But I guess somebody had said they saw Brandon on the phone when he went inside. Well, I was still outside, so I couldn't confirm it either. But they said they saw him on the phone, and then he, it was only about 10, maybe 12 minutes, he ran back out. And I had, at this point, removed myself from the front of the helicopter and went to the back uh, left side of the the port side of the helicopter. And um, I saw him run up to uh, a sailor and the plane captain and said, uh, from what I found out later was, uh, I'm sorry, you know, you have to see this or whatever. And then ran around the back by the tail rotor and proceeded to what looked like try to test to see how high he had to jump, fell down, got out, took his cranial off, and that when he jumped back into the tow rotor again. He had to jump twice before the suicide happened. So the first jump, was he injured? No, he no, he just kind of like fell on the ground and then kind of like rolled up and, you know, like rolled out of the flight uh, circle again. And then he, that's when he was like, all right, I'm about to do this. You could like see him kind of like bouncing back and forth, like trying to make up his mind. And that's when he did it. Do you remember his face? I think he was gauging. And that is my own personal opinion. I just think he was gauging how high he had to go. Mm-hmm. It, to me, being a lot older than he is and looking back, to me, that would have been a face of like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm about to do this but I'm about to do it because I need to do it. It was just kind of like a kind of scared, but like his facial expressions were just blank. Mm-hmm. But I could tell by the way he was hesitating by moving back and forth that he was battling himself, but he didn't make any like scared face or happy face or, well, he did. Actually, he did. Now that I'm talking about it, he did. He smiled at us. Say that again. He smiled at us, which made me feel like everything was okay. We were on the port side of the helicopter, the left side of the helicopter. He smiled at us, and I was like, oh, everything's okay. And that's when that was the second attempt. It was in between the first and second attempt is when he did that. In one of our many conversations, I had to ask Terry and Patrick about the day of the jump. Did they talk to their son? The phone call that Brandon took was not from his parents but they did try to reach out to him. Did you talk to Brandon the day off? No. We texted, but there was no real text responded to by him. He never responded to any text, but we did text him. What were you texting him? I told him that um, I told him that we could fix this and everything's going to be okay. I, I still believe that we could fix this, that I could get through to his command that they're not treating him properly and that they're in the wrong. And to get him out of there. And to get him out of there. With no response to their text messages to Brandon, Patrick and Terry were making calls to his command, many calls. They didn't know that during those calls, during those moments, Brandon was taking his own life. At 12 o'clock, his father, Patrick, called command. He was patched through, but he got cut off. According to cell phone records, 
That was approximately three minutes. At 12.04, Patrick called command back. Call time was approximately three minutes and 49 seconds. Command states they had to call him back, and they cut the call short. At 12.29, command calls Patrick back. The call time was 19 minutes and 29 seconds. Patrick could overhear that something had happened, and the phone call suddenly ended. Command control, white line, Custoda just jumped into the telerotor. I was in my office, and I could hear the screaming on the radio. And then people were running around, and it was... It was uh, it was not not okay. Um, but that's when we heard it over the radio, and I lost it. Um, I know a lot of the PC was screaming into the radio about it, and then the chief went running down the hallway, and she was freaking out, and um, that's when we found out. Most of the command didn't know, but they were trying to keep it. Yeah, they were trying to keep it quiet as to who it was, but it's not hard to figure out. It broke my heart. I felt like it was, it was just it was really bad. Six hours after Brandon's fatal jump, a notification team arrived at the Arizona home of Terry and Patrick Caserta. We saw them get out of the car and walk up to the door. We knew what happened as soon as we saw them on the cameras. I I, I was so mad that I actually chased them away. I told them to get out of here. We both did. We both said they asked to come in and we're both like, no, you can't. Just get out of here. Just leave. The men, however, did not want to leave, and they hung around. Finally, Brandon's parents let them inside the house. When we opened the door, their heads were bowed, their hats were in their hands. They looked up, they told us, they almost begged us to let them in. We knew, obviously we knew, everybody knows. We reluctantly let them in, and again, they looked down, then they looked back up at us and said, we regret to inform you that your son, Brandon Caserta, had died by suicide earlier that day. They proceeded to tell us how he died, and that was the hardest part of the whole thing is listening to how Brandon died by suicide. Obviously, it is something we will never, ever forget, nor will we ever get it out of our minds. In the weeks and months to follow, Brandon's parents received investigative reports, including several letters Brandon wrote saying goodbye to them. He implored them not to blame themselves, but he also begged them to go after the system that drove him to suicide. In the letters, Brandon wrote, I want to see as many people fired, kicked out, or at the very least, lose rank. Patrick and Terry were and remain devastated by the death of their son, but they have managed to take the worst possible nightmare and do as Brandon asked. They took their calls to Washington where hearings were held on toxic leadership. Senators Kane and Gillibrand spoke out against the system that caused a young man to take his life in such a brutal way. Brandon knew, he knew it would take something drastic and out of the ordinary to make people pay attention. Now there's a movement. Patrick and Terry created the Brandon Act. 
the Brandon Act will make it easier for troubled service members suffering with mental health issues and toxic leadership to get aid quickly. We cannot have another death like that of Brandon Caserta. It's a horrific story, and it's heartbreaking that somebody who was doing everything right in terms of reaching out and seeking assistance was was treated badly mm-hmm. and and that that bad treatment then was a significant contributing factor to his suicide that was so traumatic not only for his parents but for his colleagues in arms lost in the research reports are the stories of those who are no longer able to tell us about the crippling factors that led them to feel so hopeless that they take their own lives On June 25th, 2018, Brandon Caserta was so unhappy and felt so hopeless that he walked out of the flight line, approached an MH60 helicopter, apologized to nearby sailor for what she was about to see and ended his life by jumping into the aircraft spinning tail rotor. What the death investigation into Brandon's suicide revealed was toxic leadership that started with Caserta's lead petty officer an LPO who is noted in the documents as being belligerent, vulgar, and brash, and was likely, according to the investigation, a significant contributing factor in Caserta's decision to end his own life. The investigator found sufficient evidence to take the LPO to Captain's Mast for violation of UCMJ Article 93, which is cruelty and maltreatment against Caserta. However, Nothing happened. The lead petty officer remains in the Navy, having never received any punishment. Terry and Patrick and Brandon have been embraced, not only by members of Congress and the Senate on both sides of the aisle, but also by the organization LULAC and, of course, always by Military Families for Justice. Please take a moment and listen to the recent press conference detailing the benefits of the Brandon Act. Contact your state representatives. Encourage them. Plead with them to get behind this bill. Thank you all for being here this afternoon. Today is about Brandon Caserta and his legacy. I cannot imagine what Terry and Patrick experienced nearly three years ago, but I've had the chance in the last few years to get a sense of their strength. Every American, especially our heroes in uniform, deserves mental health support at work. Brandon deserved that, but we let him down. We are here today because Terry and Patrick Caserta refused to accept that American service members have to settle for the failed system that's supposed to get them mental health help. By passing this bill, Congress can empower service members to quickly get help in an emergency as soon as they confide in someone that they need it. They would simply have to say, I have a Brandon Act concern. If this were the case for Brandon, he would still be alive today. So I am proud to stand with his mom, Terry, his dad, Patrick, and my colleagues to reintroduce the Brandon Act. We're doing this because Terry and Patrick are fierce advocates, and because of them, I am hopeful that no other parents of service members have to experience what they have gone through. We came so close to getting this done last Congress. We got it into the House version 
of the NDAA, the annual defense bill, but it was stripped out during conference. So we're back here again with the help of the Senate demanding that Congress pass the Brandon Act. And there is no more urgent time. The suicide rate in the military has increased by more than 13% from 2019 to 2020. We have to act, and I'm more optimistic than ever that we can get this done because of the group that we have today. My friend Senator Mark Kelly, who also brought Senator Kevin Kramer on board, and Representatives Marionette Miller-Meeks and Debbie Mlesko. The bill has support that transcends politics. Just this morning, the Air Force Chief of Staff, General Brown, committed to supporting the Brandon Act in our hearing. It's the right thing to do. It's Brandon Caserta's legacy, and it's up to us to get it done. I am now privileged and honored to introduce Terry and Patrick Caserta. Hello. First, I'd like to thank um, Congressman Moulton, Congressman Woman Miller, Meeks, Congresswoman Lesko, Congresswoman Norton, and Senator Kramer, and Senator Kelly, of course, and Senator Morrell for helping us and co-sponsoring the Brandon Act. We appreciate it, and they helped us get to this point. Um, Today is a great day for our nation and service members. The Brandon Act will save service members' lives. It's a verbal 911, but more importantly, it keeps our service members alive while they navigate through obstacles and roadblocks that are put before them. And it's a life-saving tool. Brandon had a smile that made everyone want to smile. He had Magic Johnson's smile. He cared about everyone and always was there for them. It's easier to change laws than it is to change ideas and habits. The goal of fairness can be established in the law. And everything happens for a reason. The challenge is finding that reason. The, uh, the Brandon Act is our current and future service members and to prevent others from having to go through what Brandon did and having and have continued to this day. There's a campaign that the Brand Act is bundled up with. There are three other acts. It's an SOS campaign. It's called Save Our Service Members. LULAC is sponsoring that, and I just realized I forgot to thank them also. Um, they uh, really believe in helping service members, and they have for hundreds of years. And But I wanted to be the first one to send out and SOS to all 350 million Americans right here, right now, to help us save our service members. Please support the Brand Act. It is truly a matter of life and death. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Um, you know, first, I want to thank Terry and Patrick Caserta for being here today. This is incredibly important. Your unwavering courage and commitment to carrying on your son's legacy is inspiring. Uh, I spoke with both Terry and Patrick earlier today uh, and over the past few months, and we talked about grief and tragedy 
uh, tragedy of a life taken too soon. But we also talked about the promise, uh, the promise of the bill that we are introducing today and how their son, Brandon's legacy, will be one of saving lives. This is a mission that cannot wait. I also want to thank Representatives Moulton and Lesko and Miller Meeks and my colleagues uh, in the Senate, Senator Kramer and Senator Durbin, who could not be here, but who join us in support of this bipartisan legislation. My 25 years in the United States Navy taught me that the real strength of our military, the thing that matters the most and the thing that sets us apart, it's not the aircraft carriers, it's not the airplanes, it's not the ships, it is our people. That means our continued success depends on supporting our people, giving them the tools that they need to do their jobs and having their backs, especially when times are challenging and especially when it matters the most. Tragically, this system failed Brandon and countless others who did not receive the mental health assistance that they sought and they needed. Brandon's death was one of 68, 68 active duty Navy suicides in 2018, just in the United States Navy. Those are not just numbers to me. Those are loved ones, people's family and friends, and they're our people. And this is a problem that's shared by all of the services. It's not unique to the United States Navy. That's why I am introducing the Brandon Act in honor of Brandon and countless others who have the courage to seek mental health help, something we should provide to every single service member who puts their life on the line for our country. With the help of Brandon's brave parents and bipartisan support in Congress, this important legislation will, not could, will save the lives of other young service members enabling them to seek care without fear of retaliation for doing so. It is the right thing to do. We owe it to our service members and to Brandon to address this issue head on. While we can't get Brandon back, we can honor his legacy, we can honor his service, and prevent tragic losses like these from ever happening again. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Representative Moulton and Lesko and Senator Kelly and also Senator Kramer, who is not here. And most importantly, Brandon's parents, Terry and Patrick Caserta, for being here. Unfortunate and heartbreaking that bullying and abuse in Brandon's squadron led to his suicide. And according to the most recent figures, suicide by service members rose to 571 in 2020, which is a 13.5% increase from 503 in 2019. As we have learned from the COVID pandemic, brain health or mental health care is extremely important, and we must ensure that those who risk their lives for our country have the ability to get care when needed and without undue burden. This bill can help prevent death by suicide for service members by providing a confidential channel for service members to self-report mental health issues and help remove stigma from seeking mental health services which protects their privacy. And as a 24-year military veteran, I could not agree more with this bill. 
a restricted reporting process for mental health issues would allow service members to confidentially self-report mental health issues and receive access to a mental health evaluation and appropriate care without notifying command or law enforcement officials. And it ensures that men and women in uniform can admit that they are struggling and they can ask for help without the risk of retaliation. Some people live 100 years and will not have the impact that Brandon has had in his short life. And I know that famous smile of Brandon's is looking down upon us today and smiling as his parents have had the tenacity to see the Brandon act through. Thank you. Well, good afternoon. I'm U.S. Congresswoman Debbie Lesko from Arizona's 8th Congressional District, and I am proud to represent Brandon's parents, Terry and Patrick Caserta from Peoria, Arizona, my hometown, in my district, and join them here today for the introduction of the Brandon Act in honor of their son, fallen U.S. Navy Petty Officer, third class, Brandon Caserta. My heartfelt sympathies go out to you for your loss. It has been my privilege to work with the Casertas and my colleagues, Representative Moulton and Miller Meeks and Senator Mark Kelly on this important legislation. We must ensure that our service members have access to mental health services without fear of persecution or retaliation. We need to do our part to make sure that what happened to Brandon does not happen again to another service officer. If people need help, they deserve to get it. I'm hopeful that this bipartisan legislation will get passed this Congress, and I look forward to working with all of my colleagues behind me and over in the U.S. Capitol to get this across the finish line this time. We're going to do it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it. And um, thank you to all my colleagues for participating today. Terry and Patrick, we wouldn't be here without you. Thank you. My name is Cindy Benavides, and I serve as a Chief Executive Officer of the League of United Latin American Citizens, LULAC. For over 92 years, my organization has a commitment to civil rights in advancing the mutual interests and concerns of our Hispanic community, while providing our best efforts to secure in America to provide for all American civil rights, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, or creed. LULAC also recognizes that our sons and daughters entrusted to the U.S. military services must have proper care and support from responsible leadership that will take care of their invisible wounds to prevent loss of life, like the tragic loss of Navy Petty Officer 3rd Class Brandon Caserta. We all share in the grief of Terry and Patrick. Thankfully, Terry and Patrick have continued to fight for Brandon and others who face the same challenges in the military. And we thank you, Terry and Patrick. Lulaxians with you and all families in the care, safety, and protection of our sons and daughters that we send to protect us all.
Today, we stand with Brandon and the hundreds of soldiers that we have lost. We stand with their families who may still be grieving and will forever grieve their loss. We must save our service members and the Brandon Act complements other legislation decide to hold accountable the military institutions and their leadership for active duty personnel. Today, I rise and LULAC rises to support Terry and Patrick and posthumously their son, Brandon. A family should never have to experience the pain of losing a loved one and the expected care and protection of the U.S. Navy and by extension of all military services. Today marks the reintroduction of a law that we all need as families to secure a guarantee that all of our sons and daughters will be provided the care they are entitled to and their service to our nation. We believe that Brandon would have been saved if he were able to get the help while he was being bullied at the hands of toxic leadership. Bullying, hazing, sexual harassment, and sexual assault are anathema to the work environments anywhere in America, and especially in the work environments in the U.S. military. The Brandon Act will save lives by providing a safe phrase that will identify distress that requires a confidential and immediate mental health evaluation to provide treatment without retaliation for seeking help. Accountability is another dimension of the Brandon Act. This will help make sure individuals will be called to account for their behavior. And in the case of leadership, hold them accountable for the culture and climate they create. Trust and teamwork are bedrock principles of military service. Any deployment to hostile areas in the world depends on them. It is not too much to expect these same principles to be practiced on a U.S. military base or on a U.S. ship. Trust is developed and teamwork is practiced. The Brandon Act helps to support both. Trust that help is only a phrase away. Teamwork that same readiness imperative realized through training and policy for success on the battlefield is brought to bear in saving lives. Suicide is a military readiness issue and so is the Brandon Act. Today is a call to action to all elected members to sign on and support to pass the Brandon Act this year. There are plenty of studies and statistics that inform the decision to pass the Brandon Act. We do not need to lose another life. Thank you to Representative Moulton, Senator Kelly, Representative Miller-Musk, and Representative Lesko, Representative Lesko for keeping hope alive this year. LULAC never stopped in the past. We will not stop today. And we will not stop tomorrow until we see the passage of the Brandon Act. And Terry and Patrick, thank you for your persistence, for making sure that all of our military members are protected. Together, we will rise. Thank you. What they did to him will never go away. The visions I have of his death will never go away. But the Brandon Act? can stay forever as long as it's being used.
To learn more about this case and other stories of injustice, please visit militaryfamiliesforjustice.org or rivercitycharlie.com. You can also donate to help bring to light the cases of injustice faced by our military families and service members. Thank you.